Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. Caleb is in. I have a feeling he's fired up. Interesting day today. Our fantasy draft is 24 hours away. I know that because I have so many drafts that I had to set alarms one day in advance of every draft. So I don't lose track of all of them. Right. And my alarm just went off 24 hours till draft. <laughs> What's up, Caleb? <laughs> What's up, man? I, I guess fantasy football. I, it's all I hear nowadays. And yeah. every every year, everybody's like, why don't you do fantasy? Join our league. And I'm like, I know nothing about fantasy football. It's a different to. language to me. That's fun. I, <laughs> you draft a team, you I follow put, some players. I, I put an auto draft in one year and I won. And that was hilarious oh, wow. to me. Nice. Because I had nothing to do with it, and I won the league. But I, I'm not a fantasy guy. I am a hard knocks guy, uh, but I'm not a fantasy football guy. I, I don't speak that language. Okay, let's start out with hard knocks. Uh, are you caught up, first of all? <laughs> yes. So I, I had a chance to get into the latest episode, and I enjoyed your takes on it earlier. The Dusty Pants was hilarious. I, th- there's, so there's, <laughs> there's, there's those moments for every head coach where they're trying to force motivational speeches. But what ends up happening is kind of a, a, a good thing in a way, especially during fall camp, where all the players go in the locker room after that meeting, and they're like, what the hell was Coach talking about? Why was there <laughs> dust on his pants? And it becomes a running joke. And I think I've had that in just about every one of my fall camp locker rooms where Coach tries to make a point. And you get it. You respect it while the meeting's happening. But after, you're like, Coach, what was that? You know, especially the veterans on the team, they're like, Coach, the, the, the weight room chalk on your pants, like you, you're going to stage that. That's your prop. That's what we're going with. And it becomes like a running joke that, you know, everybody looks back and laugh at. That's what that was for Dan Campbell. The, the dust on the pants was, was, was awful. How, how long after something like that do you have to wait to, before you can start joking about it? <laughs> Depending on how good camp's going, you could do it as early as the next day. But if you know you go out and lose that next preseason game, or if you're <laughs> if you're not really there yet as a team, you better keep that in your pocket till next summer. You know, like don't don't talk about it until you start having some success or get to some you know some downtime. But yeah, no, the good teams and you know when the coach has a real genuine relationship, which. Honestly, that's the most important thing I think I've noticed with Dan Campbell. As corny as it is to us to watch it sometimes, and as much of a reach as those things are, I think he has a genuine authenticity that the players have respected so far, at least from what I see. And so I think they have the relationship where some of the guys in the locker room probably could bust his chops about it already. Like, if they continue to show, like, rookie camp and all that stuff, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of this series of Hard Knocks, Somebody got up and, you know, made a joke about it during the, uh, during the uh, I guess, rookie initiation oh, talent show that they got going on. Somebody's going to stand up and just shake out some pants like that are just full of talk. <laughs> like, that's going to happen. There's, there's almost no question. Uh, you kind of led me already into the next question I was going to ask you, but it sounds like uh, the answer is yes. I was going to ask you, you seem like you would be a guy that would like to play for Dan Campbell. Oh, I would. I would. And it's, 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 like I said, mostly because of the authenticity of it. And I get, you know, he's trying to be a head coach. He's trying to, and it, it may be more for the cameras. He's trying to come up with that motivational talk with, that will get them over the hump and that will win the locker room over. But I don't think he even needs that part. I think the, the more authentic, it's the whole coaching staff. They're so authentic on the field during practice that it commands your respect in the meeting room. 
Um, so he doesn't really have to do much extra in, in the way of motivating and coming up with speeches and stuff. His resume, first of all, speaks for itself, as well as the rest of the staff. Like, so the locker room is already won over by that. Now, then the conversations of technique, like this last episode when he's talking to the tight ends about how to get that block on a heavier DN. Like when you hear those conversations happen, that gives you even more credibility. Like it's not just that he played. He knows his stuff. He's fired up. And it's really just who he is. Uh, on the field in between the lines. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd play for him because I can sense that from him. And the motivational stuff, like I said, when you have that relationship, it becomes just hilarious that, hey, coach, you were reaching for that one, weren't you? Like that kind of thing. And he'd probably bust your chops back. And that's kind of the relationship he has with the players, at least outside looking in. I, I'd love to play for him. Like Steve is laughing because I think he feels that the assistant coaches maybe are too authentic. Like it's just <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, I, uh, well, first of all, we have the audio playing later. It's amazing. Deuce Staley, who screamed out his voice, trying to scream with no voice, was one of the best yes. we've ever seen. No, I was actually – I was off the mic slapping my own rear end repeatedly because of Dan Campbell at the, beginning, at the beginning of the hard knock, just slapping, <laughs> slapping everyone in the keister. Like, uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Like, like, like okay, they, we get it. You know them. Like, yes. like, you're confident and you're comfortable with them. Okay, got it. Uh, but no, I, Deuce losing his voice was hilarious because I've seen that happen to many coaches. Um, and, and that was hilarious. They're just trying, like, at some point, give it up. Don't talk anymore, right? right. Like, you, you, we, you sound pathetic. Um, it's making us all look bad. Who's that mouse in the background yelling right. at? Um, but th there's things that, that I appreciate about that, that he's willing to go there and lose his voice. But then there's also the side of practice where you don't want that to be a, a distraction, and I don't think it is. What's more distracting is Williams, I believe it was, um, during that running back drill portion, like mm -hmm. every play taking his helmet off and making a scene about whatever just happened. And as a quarterback and as, you know, I would get so frustrated with guys that did that because you're wasting our time. Like be fired up for the rep, get fired up, you know, talk, talk your noise. But if every time you get a rep, you got to take your helmet off and try to show somebody up, I, I, that's where you kind of lose me, where it loses the structure of practice and getting better. And it goes into more of a bravado, show your dominance type of thing. That was more annoying. I do Staley losing his voice was great to me, but the helmet off after every rep, I could do without it. I'm looking at my notes that I sent Steve like in the middle of the night last night about hard knocks. One of them just says, "Yo, Jamal Williams got to chill." <laughs> <laughs> too much. That's too much. The crying in episode one, and then that stuff at practice. It's uh, it's too much. So we got UNLV opening this weekend against Idaho State. Idaho State last year was a one-win team. Their coach got fired. They have a new coaching staff. They have 51 new players on the roster since fall of 2021. This is a massive game that the Rebels need to win, and the Rebels need to be winning by distance when the fourth quarter starts. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think for a lot of reasons. One, because I think this is the first time in a while that the Rebels have had an opponent where uh, it was a clear uh, advantage for them to win the game and by a, a good margin, as you said. So that, that goes a long way towards building on any confidence that they maybe had last season for being close in games that were competitive. But this one should be a win. And it's very important. We can say that. You could say that. Anybody else. But the guys in the locker room have to approach this game as a business as usual. It can't be a letdown. It can't be anything. Um, we've seen in the past with UNLV, with teams that they were expected to win handily against, like Howard in the most recent memory that I can think of, um, where it didn't go their way and it kind of s snowballed for the rest of the season. That loss kind of hung over everybody's heads. 
um, this could be the opposite effect where you get a win and all the, the messaging over the offseason of how close we were last year to winning, how close we are to being a good team. You know, if you're a Royal, you now can win this first game out of the gates and say, see, there's the evidence we're, we're progressing. So psychologically, I think this win, uh, this game is a big one um, to win and, and come out of the gate strong with. Um, and I think when you look at Idaho State, it's one of those teams that is in a massive transition. Um, and if you look at where UNLV has gone, you look two years ago, it was a team that was more characterized by transition and then injury than anything. Um, so now UNLV coming into this season and coming in to start things off at home against Idaho State, they are kind of the team that's more established, more, I guess, polished, whereas Idaho State is a bit of a question mark. We don't know with all the new bodies, with uh, the new staff, exactly what they're going to come out with. And that makes you worry that you get punched in the mouth maybe if you're UNLV because you, you're caught off guard by things, maybe. Um, so you have to approach it with the appropriate fear, as has become a, a common term in sports when you're the favorite, um, and, and come out and handle business. Um, and really give, I think what will be really a, a plus in this game is if things are under control late in the second half or even early in the second half, uh, you can kind of see some of the position battles uh, pan out in game and see some of the depth that you think you've accumulated over the offseason, get a chance out there on the game to put game tape on and see if they can perform under the light. So a lot of reasons why this game is big one and a lot of reasons I think where UNLV should come out and handle business um, um, to get their season off to a good start. These first couple of games are going to be a big test for one of the safety positions. Uh, Jonathan Baldwin, uh, somewhat of a veteran, is holding down one spot. Tyson Player, they're very high on Tyson, uh, was going to hold down the other spot, but right now he's uh, not available for undisclosed reasons. So they went out and they really beefed up the safety position, but it's all guys who haven't played for UNLV yet. It's Trent Holloway, a Juco, Donye Dixon, a Juco, Chris Williams from Limestone College, and then Jordan Morgan, who's a transfer from Iowa State. Uh, I don't know that Idaho State is going to test them a whole bunch, but they have to uh, mix into this system pretty quickly with no experience on the UNLV stat or check that on the UNLV roster. They haven't played for the Rebels yet. Yeah, and I think that's uh, like I said, that's probably the reason why this game against Idaho State uh, means a lot, and it's because, like you said, if everything goes according to plan, Idaho State shouldn't test as far as uh, you know run by them or or blow this team out with creativity on offense and and. Um, if I'm being blunt, I, I can say this again as not somebody in the locker room, UNLV should run away with this game. Um, so this is an opportunity for those guys to kind of get used to, if any, if nothing else, the mechanics of being out there for three, four downs or four series without the coach coaching you in between every rep where, you know, the communication on the field becomes a big thing. Can you do that? Can you get lined up? Can you be sound fundamentally? Can you actually go make the tackle in open space? Because the Rebels haven't gone live very much, at least tackle to the ground during fall camp. So this will be a lot of their first times, at least as a rebel coming up and filling a run lane from their safety spot um, to make a tackle in open space or tackling the bubble screen or making an actual live ball play um, on a ball thrown down the field. So you get a chance now, hopefully with, you know, some a dominant performance, a solid performance from the rest of your team to let some of these guys get their first real live rep so that you can kind of ease them into the rest of the season. Um, and that's the reality that we can look at it through. Again, all of the players in the locker room can't take that approach. It has to be this opponent is just as capable of beating me as any other opponent. Um, and don't count the reps, make the reps count type of attitude. Um, but like you said, for those guys at safety, Trenton Holloway, um, Donya Dixon, who, who come in with the expectations, who've had good fall camps, who, you know, guys like Jonathan Baldwin and Noel Williams have spoken highly of going through fall camp. 
it's their chance to get out on the field and actually prove it with quality game reps. And I think that's something that UNLV would look to learn from, um, not just at that position, but at a lot of positions where playing time is still being decided and the depth chart is maybe not as solid as you would think. There's some competitions going on that I think um, guys should value these reps for, especially when if, if it comes to a situation where the Rebels are up big late in the game. When you peek ahead of the schedule for the Rebels, what do you see? I see um, a lot of potential for change in the conference, and I think UNLV will be on the the upswing for what the conference will end up being. I see a schedule that may be more favorable, especially when compared to last year for UNLV, um, as far as the non-conference schedule. I know Cal and Notre Dame are sitting there, but starting off with Idaho State and starting off with North Texas, um, those two games, I think, on the schedule are games that didn't exist um, from a competitive standpoint. Um, and I think also the, the way that the conference has kind of shifted with the teams that are now in transition. Um, you think about Reno trying to replace the people that are now in the NFL from that roster with the coaching changes and things like that in Reno. That program may be in a little bit of a disarray. We'll see how the season progresses. Um, teams like even San Diego State or San Jose State that maybe had peaked and now are looking for a little bit of a transition um, coming into this year. And I think UNLV, you know, I'll throw Hawaii in there as well, is one of those teams that are still transitioning, trying to find their footing. Um, but you look at UNLV, they actually look like now, compared to the last two years, they look like the more stable per, uh, program as far as their personnel, their systems, things that they've been you know, kind of building on for the last two years. UNLV looks to be one of the more stable Mountain West Conference teams in that regard. Does that mean they're going to perform better? We'll see. Um, but th looking at it, it gives you more optimism going forward as far as the conference and the non-conference schedule for the Rebels to make a splash and, and do something that may surprise people um, in the conference. And that's, 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 again, the closest I'll get to a projection. But just from what I see, I see a lot of opportunity for UNLV to be on the upswing in the Mountain West. Caleb Harrington is with us, former quarterback for the Rebels. He's one of the voices of the Rebels on radio. So one of the maybe surprising things on the depth chart that was released on Monday was Harrison Bailey jumping up into the co-number one quarterback spot with Cam Friel as number three. Uh, Brumfield is in that co-spot with Bailey. What do you think had Bailey jumping over Cam Friel? Um, I, this is, this is conspiracy theory, fan theory, I guess. I think it's more to do with game week preparation than anything. And I say that because, I, this is like I said, this is an author. There's no inside information. This is just me kind of looking at that and being, like, being just as surprised as everybody else to see it this late for that to be the switch. Um, but looking at it and saying, huh, Harrison's the most different um, as far as what he brings to the table. I think it's not a secret at this point that Cam and Doug are more athletic than Harrison. And they have, you know, the quarterback design run threat, I think, at a higher level than Harrison. So it makes more sense from a competitive advantage standpoint, and this is just, like I said, theories, to put two more different quarterbacks as either or. Like it could be the athletic running quarterback or it could be the pocket passer guy, right? And that's like competitive advantage week one, releasing the depth chart. That makes more sense to me. That like if I'm going to put either or, I'm going to make, make it as hard for you to prepare for the either or as possible. And that's just, you know, a random theory that I got when I saw it. But it also could be that Harrison Layton Camp, um, you and I have talked about this before, Steve. Harrison and Cam were very close to begin with. Like the two and three were razor thin as far as the margin for error. 
Um, and it could just be that Harrison had a better finish to camp. Um, and that's it's as simple as that. Um, but I think it does clear up the quarterback controversy or competition, um, at least for fans to think of. And I think, honestly, I think this is one of those situations where Coach Royal and the staff and even the players maybe know who the starter is and who's going to take that first snap. They know that. Um, but it does them no good. It benefits them none at this point to actually come out and name it. It just, I think, creates a swirl of, of, of a story um, before the game that potentially could become a distraction. But I think at this point, um, Coach Arroyo and the staff are probably pretty locked in and, and lasered in on who's going to start week one. Is that going to be the starter for the rest of the season? I don't know. that, But I think week one, at least, they could have easily put one of the names as the single starter um, and been just as well off for their game plan for Idaho State. I'm going to close with an incredibly stupid question, I think. But I was just, you know, when I was looking at the line, um, I think, you know, I, I think Davion McDaniel is a little more established than Tiger Shanks, right? Shanks is the right tackle. McDaniel is the left tackle. When you have a lefty starting quarterback, we know the blind side is now protected by the right tackle. Is it a thing in football with a lefty quarterback to go, you know what, we're going to flip-flop the tackles? Or is that just too tough for the tackles to adjust to playing the other side? Um, I think it's it's a little bit too tough to just make it a simple switch. I think if you knew you had a lefty starting quarterback to go into the season – you would probably work with your better tackle at right tackle um, if you kind of had established that your left tackle was uh, – that your your quarterback was left-handed. So you'd put your more talented guy on the quarterback's backside, obviously. Um, but in the in the Rebel situation, I don't think um, with an active quarterback competition, it would just be as simple at this point as switching Tiger and Davion because there's a completely opposite, you know, mechanical procedure to being a right tackle than a left tackle. Your kick step – um, with your right leg is not going to be as strong as your kick step with your left leg. Um, so you may lose value. You may not, not be as good a tackle on the right side, at least to start, um, if you don't have the technique of a right tackle already kind of in your repertoire. If you've been playing on the left and you've been a great left tackle, I think even with the quarterback, you should just stay. It's not as simple as switching um, left and right. Those, those are really the most opposite on the offensive line. It's easier to go from left guard to right guard than it is for left tackle to right tackle as far as pass protection goes. And I don't think you'd get the the return on the investment, so to speak, for that switch at this point if you're the Rebels. Um, but like I said, if you knew that Doug was going to be the starting guy from the beginning, um, you may put your best, you know, to start things off and to get him used to that. You started that transition in, back in the spring maybe to get him accustomed to it if that's the direction you chose to go. And it's one of those things. Changing positions is not easy. And I think we talk about it a lot, even not just on the offensive line, but you know, make guys going from tight end to receiver or receiver to tight end or, you know, hello, quarterback to receiver. Like those transitions aren't as easy as people would think. You may be able to do it, but are you of the same value when you make that switch? Um, and I think for a left tackle to right tackle, you lose a lot of value from Davion McDaniels or whoever is the best tackle that they have. You lose a lot of value for making that switch uh, to the opposite side of the field there. Caleb, uh, Caleb, great spot. We'll talk to you a little later as we're going to be doing the uh, Marcus Arroyo radio show at 6 o'clock right here on ESPN Las Vegas. So uh, about an hour and 40 minutes away. We'll hook up again, okay? Thank you. All right, guys. Maybe next week we'll talk about Matt Taiteo and that documentary because I'm excited about it. I want, I, want it, I want to get into that with you guys. But have fun. Have a good one. We'll see you later. Hey, watch the uh, Fundamentalist LDS one after that. We can talk oh, about that now I've got more to be excited about. It's Thanks, also on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Caleb. Is that uh, is that another one of the untold? No, no, no. It's a it's it's a four part documentary. I, I don't know who made it. 
there's a bunch of untold that are all like sports related. This one is just uh, the uh, fundamentalist sect that's up up at the uh, Utah Arizona Nevada border. Who mm-hmm. boy, it's good. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Yes. Very very interesting topic. Football frenzy is on the way. I think Adam hit on the best story of the week yesterday, and uh, that is Max Crosby and his girlfriend or wife, fiance, fiance. With a child on the way in October, that's during football season. Wait a second. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. There was a story that came out on Saturday, Tom Brady, Dana White. Yep. Uh, are, first of all, any thoughts on that? And then also, are you kind of immune to all the nonsense? And, By now. Yeah. I would hope so. You know. You're watching that fight card on Saturday night. Suddenly they're talking about Dana White and Gronk are talking about the Raiders. What were your, what were your thoughts? No comment. No comment. Let's go! The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Raiders didn't want to talk about the Dana White story. Uh, Vinny, as I pointed out the other day from Raider Nation Radio 920, calling it nonsense, which I thought was a weird way to get an answer from someone. And then Chris Matthews tried, and Max Crosby was ready with a no comment. I I will say the story is not nonsense, and the story has been featured in your paper a lot, and you were on the story. I wish you had gotten in front of the line, were able to ask a question to Derek Carr, because I'm sure you thought about it. Like, it's following up on your story that you got so much crap over. And, you know, we found out this week that at least Dana White's end of the story was true. And the Raiders, you know, weren't, I don't know if they weren't privy to it. They had to be because Mark Davis was talking to Tom Brady. But, like, some more follow-up would have been cool. And I see your story today. Derek Carr just trying to play football. Focus on football. Focus on football. Great. Great. I believe he said... I'm just. Ho- I just hope there's no more drama in the city. I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. I just thought of the drama in the LBC. No more drama in the for city. Us. I think drama, in the, a, drama in the city might be a fantasy theme for me. Well, drama in the LBC is also drama at Lotus Broadcasting Corporation. Oh, of course, of course. We don't have any drama anymore. It's all gone. Pretty much. Man- great management. COVID extinguished it. We have a very uh, cohesive crew. No chance of insurrections. Nothing like that. For sure. Everyone is out to protect, gonna protect their own. They're going to protect their own. And Max Crosby was protecting his own. He wasn't going to get into the story. But it, I, I don't understand that. It, and like the reason is, think about what the actual story is here. That the football operations side on the Raiders decided they wanted Derek Carr yeah. over Tom Brady. Hey, Derek, how does it feel that John Gruden chose to roll with you instead of one of the greatest winners in sports history? That's got to be a hell of a vote of confidence. Vindication. Derek, Max, 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 your quarterback was chosen (laughs) over Tom Brady. I don't understand why they're running. I don't understand why they're running from this story. This story should be very good for everyone in that room feel like to Ari, rally around their quarterback. It's like Ari's ready to move on. Ari's he's got like, the crunching done. pads. We're he's done. like, that's it. Well, you walked out of the screen. I did walk. I to... did walk off the screen because I was yeah. throwing a, as I generally will do to distract everyone. I don't know why I do that. I get excited when we get a chance to lob a softball at an athlete, 
or a fellow host so they can knock it out of the park and that sure. that hey vote of confidence derek go ahead and slam it out of the park here you go sure and for for and i look i i get on some level why you just want to move on from it but this is a perfect opportunity to say you know max you know what what did you think of that what did i think of it you know what Derek's my quarterback, and I would have chosen him over Tom Brady, too. Great angle. How hard is that? Great angle, Adam. Great angle. (laughs) Maybe you'll get to do it down the road. It's unreal. Maybe you'll get to do it down the road. Crunch (laughs) them. Now, this was the best story that came out of yesterday's media session. Max Crosby talking about life beyond football. But guess what? We're going to pay some bills here. We're going to get to it on the way back in the fat pack because we talk about this story all the time. Athletes, I know sometimes, you you know, they can slip by the goalie. It happens. But I really would love to see family planning. Let's make sure you're not going to miss any time during your particular season. And it looks like Max Crosby and his fiance have a baby girl on the way. What's going to happen if it Happens on a late Saturday, early Sunday. No max for the Broncos game? Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. One owns a meat slicer, the other an air fryer. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. All right, moving past the halfway point of Cofield and Company, we're going to get a patch reporter in in just a couple minutes, get her take. On the first, uh, well, the two days, the joint practices between the Patriots and the Raiders. But first, here's Max Crosby talking about some of the stuff going on in his life as he's got a big October on the way. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, yesterday was five. I think we got five weeks now. So it's it's unreal. You know, it flew by. Um, I'm just super excited. You know, this whole this camp has been super long. A uh, lot going on. You know, Rachel's t- giving me updates, sending me videos. Freaking seeing a baby kick around their stomach is like the craziest thing, but um, it's just it's incredible. You know, it just gives me an extra bit of motivation. You know, having a having a daughter on the way. Um, we've been talking about it for so long, and finally, you know, it's about to really happen. So I can't wait till she gets here. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have a blast. So it's gonna be great. Wait a second, five weeks. The season kicks off in a couple of weeks. I think there's going to be a football game that week. Adam Hill asked about it because that's the kind of guy he is. You know, uh, <laughs> I've already talked to Coach McDaniels, you know, as far as planning for that. You know, we have a emergency team, you know, who's going to call me. And so, you know, she goes into labor and everything like that. So we're already ahead of the curve. You know, I feel like it's just going to happen the way it's supposed to happen. So, um, you know, I'm not stressing about it. Were you very stressed at that point? You're like, you have a game, brother. What do you mean you talked about it? Are you playing or not? I was actually stressed doing math because Max said it was five weeks out from Monday. And I believe the due date is October 3rd. You didn't want to screw that up. Six weeks out from Monday. Oh, I think you're just off by a week. Do you think he would know? Well, but he also know. just had a hard practice. You know what? I'm going to retract that. I wouldn't know. No. No. Uh, if, so, the, yeah. if the SO were pregnant, and please. We're way too old. Uh, I would have no idea. I would lose track at some point. Yeah. Wait, so is this off. week? He's, uh, okay. He's a week off. But it is one day one day different. It's one day after they have a game. Okay. So mm. it's on the horizon. All right. It's on the horizon. I did like this moment because he became every guy 
that I know where every once in a while you slip and you maybe say a little more about your relationship than you meant? Yeah, you know, it's the same thing. You know, me and her is like she she truly is like she's a warrior. You know, she's been through it all. You know, we've been through everything together. Um, and it's rare. You know, she, she was with me before I ever did anything, ever made a play or anything like that. So, um, you know, she's just incredible. And the way she's been handling this has been it's been inspiring. You know, she, she can uh, piss me off sometimes <laughs> and be in, be in those moods, but I just, I'm just like, okay, it's okay. I understand it's not personal, but, um, you know, she's doing great. And, um, you know, we're just fired up to have a, have a little baby girl. So everything in that message was nice. She's a warrior. She's been with him. He's been through a lot. And, but the part that caught my attention was she pisses me off sometimes and she can be in those moods. And then he was like, oh, I got to get out of this. Second, Second time in two weeks it's happened to a Raider player. Thayer Munford, right? Thayer Munford also. Thayer Munford started to go down that path, and then he slammed on the brakes yeah, before getting to any details. Something was going on with his wife. He had just got engaged. Yeah. Oh. We asked about the engagement. He was like, oh, she's so great. She's helped me through all this, and she's helped me get to this point, and she drives me nuts. Yeah. I, I better stop right now. We're like, <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. God. Keep going. He's like, nope, I'm good. I'm going to stop right there. That was awesome. I love when I love when guys slip. It's great. Maybe they won't anymore. Too honest. Maybe yeah, man. Maybe they maybe they need to be saved by a PR person. Let's let's put some rules in place here. Don't, don't, Too much non football stuff going on. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. And that's not tough standards. So if you like what the happened today, you don't need to be here. We wasn't attacking. We wasn't catching the ball. We wasn't hitting the hole. What the? That's not what the we're about. So you better pick this shit up and tell you right now, especially when you get tired. Stop feeling sorry for yourselves. That's the game. You gotta play when you're tired. You gotta play when you hurt. No that. Go to the next play. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. It's a hard knocks Wednesday on Cofield and Company. That was Deuce Daly, one of the coaches for was the it? Lions who, com- his voice. who completely lost his voice and was like, I don't care. I'm still going to scream F-bombs at you, like 40 of them, and call you out. I, I like it. I like it going to our final hour and 20 minutes because I have not had a good show and I need someone needs to freaking scream at me. I am. I will tell you, I am inspired, though, by the video I just saw. What is going on with Belichick on this Vegas trip? He's wearing a UFC belt and he's smiling ear to ear. Nicole Yang is with us, covering the Patriots. Nicole, how are you? It's Stephen Adam. Good. How are you guys? We're good. I feel like we're seeing a kinder, gentler Belichick. Are you weirded out by this? He's like he's doing you know, little vacation tours, wearing UFC belts. What's going on with uh, Bill? Yeah, I don't really know what's up. A couple people have pointed that out. He's definitely been smiling a lot more. I think he's having fun with us in regards to their offensive play calling mystery he keeps referring it to it as a process but joking along the way so i don't know he seems to be uh i guess taking a little bit of a friendlier approach this offseason i heard a theory from somebody and i'll run it by you that he's being nicer and friendlier because he knows the team is going to be bad and he doesn't want people to be mean about it um, I mean, who knows what goes on in the mind of Bill Belichick and his reasoning behind being mean or nice or frosty. So I don't think he thinks the team is going to be bad, though. I, I definitely don't um, think that's the case. 
How long do you think you'd have to cover the team to actually understand Bill Belichick? Like 57 years? <laughs> yes, maybe even longer. <laughs> so you, you mentioned the play calling process. What What is the story there? I know there were some questions of Josh McDaniels about it today and trying to move on from him uh, in terms of the offense with the Patriots. But what do you think the plan is? Yeah, so they obviously haven't named an official offensive coordinator, and it seems like they're operating with this three-headed monster in Bill Belichick, Joe Judge, and Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia has been calling the plays in the literal sense of he is delivering the plays to Mac Jones. However, in terms of the actual like selection of the plays and things like that, I think Bill has a lot more of a heavy hand. He's generally close by. And then you also have Joe Judge, who's working with the quarterbacks because Matt Patricia is also coaching the offensive line. So everyone's sort of involved, but they just don't have one dedicated person. So I don't know if at the start of week one they plan to name an offensive play caller. I don't know if they plan to keep it a mystery. I don't know if it's going to be like an involving situation over the season. If I had to predict, I feel like by the end of the year, it's just going to be Bill and he's going to be handling it. He has said that a lot, like, look, at the end of the day, this all falls on me. So that would be my guess by the end of the year. Nicole Yang covers the Patriots with the Boston Globe in town for the joint practices and the preseason game coming up uh, on Friday over at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, How much could this, you know, transition to a new era to, you know, the three-headed monster at offensive coordinator, whatever they're doing there, moving on from Josh McDaniels and what he did with Mac Jones, how much could that impact the development of Mac Jones going into year two? I mean, that's one of my biggest questions with it because it seems that Josh and Mac formed a really strong, good working relationship. You can see it in Josh's comments this morning. He said that he loves the kid, thinks he has a bright future, things like that. And Josh also has like a proven record of working with quarterbacks. Uh, He did so for so long with Tom Brady, whereas like Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, uh, we'll see how this goes. So. I think it's definitely crucial, and at the same time, the Patriots are also installing this new offensive system with new terminology, so there's definitely a lot of adjustments with Mac, and and you can see that through training camp. You mentioned Josh McDaniel spoke this morning. I know there was a lot of uh, a lot of the Boston media in there, and he acknowledged that as he he walked in and kind of said, welcome, (laughs) Boston, uh, to the room. How much different did you feel McDaniels maybe is as a as a head coach and maybe uh, being comfortable in his skin than he was as an offensive coordinator? Is it, is it the same guy or did you see a difference? Um, I, I think he's largely the same guy. I guess the difference, and I don't know if this is true every day outside of today, but he did seem to open up a little bit more. I think Josh in previous press conferences, he would, as offensive coordinator, he would answer all of your questions very intensely be very thoughtful but then at the end of the press conference and you look at what he said he actually really didn't reveal that much he didn't really say anything like particularly insightful per se but he's also he was always very like a nice person and very respectful whereas today I felt like he actually said a little bit more than we would typically get when he was just a coordinator sure and, and there besides McDaniels there's obviously a lot of other Patriots connections with this team uh, in the past, it hasn't really been that way, and not a whole lot of coaches have gone uh, when other coaches left the building. Did did you take that when a lot of assistants went with McDaniel's that it might be a sign that it's closer to the end for Belichick? No, so I think Bill's going to coach. I think Bill wants to break Don Shula's uh, all-time win record, so I think he's going to coach until that happens, and I think that might take 
I don't know, another three, four seasons, depending on how the Patriots yeah. fare. So I didn't necessarily take it as that, more just like the relationship that Josh was able to form within the offense and I guess what he could pitch them on and what he was building out here. So where where do you think the Patriots fit in in the AFC East this year? So I think they're obviously behind the Bills, and I think the Dolphins will present an interesting matchup. Um, I still think they finish second in the division, um, but it's definitely not the cakewalk that it was, and they've clearly been supplanted by Buffalo in the past couple of years. I guess, what could you foresee potentially going wrong that would stop them from being able to finish second? Um, the offense. The offense has struggled a lot throughout training camp, and Mac Jones and Bill Belichick have stressed, like, look, when you're watching a play, you don't know what play was called. You don't know what the context is. So if it breaks down, sometimes that's okay. But at the same time, we've seen – too many plays break down, and we've seen too many plays end with Max scrambling, and that's just never the outcome that they want. Max Jones running or escaping the pocket. So I think that will be interesting to see how the offense fares in week one. I mean, they play Miami right off the bat because so far through training camp, that's been the big question as they sort of install this new system, new terms, things like that. And we haven't really seen the starters much in the preseason. I'm curious to see if anybody gets some run on Friday. I'm kind of doubtful, but so far we've just seen one quarter of the offense against second and third stringers of the Panthers. So not really. What do you mean? You got a very good, you got a, you got a very good view of the offense today. What are you talking about? <laughs> Fair. So today, <laughs> given the setup uh, at the Raiders practice facility, it's hard to see, um, pretty much anything, but it did seem to be a better day for the offense. You saw at the end, the Patriots celebrated. They had this huge celebration for their Hunter Henry touchdown at the end of practice, which I think shows like how rare those types of plays have come. Um, and they have been playing their best football in that hurry-up, two-minute offense. So for them to finish practice on a high note, I feel like that actually like meant a lot to them because like typically we don't really see celebrations. There haven't been many reasons for celebrations, but even when there are, like typically they don't react in the way that they did today. You mentioned being at the facility. Bill Belichick has talked about this facility. He called it the Taj Mahal of football. <laughs> he is glowing about this place. What is going on with it? Is he just trying to get a new facility for himself? Okay, so that's the theory among the Patriots beat is that maybe the, this is Bill sort of like nudging Robert Kraft, like, hey, like maybe we could get a facility in Gillette. Because as you see, I think the Patriots are one of five teams now that don't have like a designated practice facility. Like they're, all of their stuff is at Gillette Stadium. They practice there and they play there, but as you see, like, so many teams are separating it and building these, like, state-of-the-art facilities. Taj Mahal, as Bill said. So I, I do wonder whether it was, like, a little nudge, like, all right, where's ours? Why do you think that's the case? I would expect the Crafts to pony up just about anything Belichick would ask for. Uh, a whole list of complicated reasons. Um, but Foxborough... 
also shares a stadium with the soccer team, and the soccer team might be getting a new stadium. A bunch of like logistical things that aren't very interesting. <laughs> so when you know when when we just assumed over the course of time. Uh, and we're going back to the the views that we have at practice, that McDaniels took this from the Patriots, that the Patriots blocked everything, they didn't let anybody see anything. It sounds like that might not be the case, right? This is a, a McDaniels thing on his own, because it sounds like you guys have better access in New England than you do here. Yes, this is definitely worse than it is in Foxborough. I think this, I think what the Raiders, how the Raiders have operated in terms of like where we sit and what we can see is what people think Gillette is like during practice, but no, this is definitely, this is like if you were buying a a ticket to a concert and it would have to say like obstructed view on the ticket because you can't see anything. Um, You can't roam. You can't request players. Like it's, it's a very interesting setup. For sure. Well, last thing before we get you out of here, and great job uh, breaking down uh, this week with the Patriots. Eight and a half is the win total for the Patriots. If they finish second, sounds like maybe slightly over. So, it, okay, it's eight and a half. The other day, I think I saw nine and a half. So, if it's nine and a half, I would take the under. Eight and a half, I'll take the over. I think it's, we're at nine and eight this year. There you go. Right in between. Perfect. All right, Nicole. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate uh, your time and I hope you had a, uh, a good visit here to Las Vegas. We, we tried to treat you right and then, uh, you know, Josh got in the way, so he ruined it. <laughs> we'll see. Thanks ya. for having me, guys. There she is. Nicole Yang. They're not happy, huh? Great view. Uh, They took it in good stride, I think. They got to hear our nonsense during the day instead of watching practice. It was fun. You know what's funny? Uh, The question that I was asking her about the uh, practice facility and why they haven't built it, she's like, yeah, a bunch of logistical stuff that's not interesting. I'm like, no, we we wanted to hear about it. We're nerds, so yeah. (laughs) But but I I, I find the facility stuff to be fascinating, and obviously Belichick, I mean, that's why he said it. What is he out here to kiss... Mark Davis's ass like he, I'm sure he would like something like it and I didn't realize that was really good information she said it's like one of five organizations left in the NFL that kind of have a you know an old setup where they don't have their own separate palace well, to train in it's happening for the Bengals right now because the, theirs is a disaster it's like right across well, think the about that the mess. Bengals are getting one before Belichick Mike Brown is like the cheapest owner in NFL history yeah well and now try, I mean look, to keep Burrow look, at, look at freaking LA both of the teams what they're getting what they, what they have you know, coming up. What are they building? Uh, Rams are doing the Valley, right? Yeah, but that's not that's not the Taj Mahal of football. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be nice. <laughs> they're t- they're taking over land that's like inhabited by a freaking old mall. It is it is it is a gigantic piece of property they're building on. I'm sure it's going to be nice. I'm just I, don't, I mean it's, the Taj Mahal. It's, it's so excessive. He's so he's not he that person. And he doesn't speak like that. No, that's the biggest that's thing. Insane. I love that a couple of us like right away we're like, what is he doing? <laughs> it was so obvious, and then he did it two days in a row. I didn't realize he did it again. Yeah, he did it two days in a row. It's insane. So he is a little more jovial and talkative. He's not saying anything on this trip. Is it because he's around McDaniels? He's around Ziggler? Like, he's kind of, hey, these are my guys. I'm glad to see him, you know, doing well. No, it's once, once you win that UFC championship belt, you're very relaxed. I mean, he is so fired up. So he's over at the UFC facility this afternoon, the headquarters. I, I said, I was uh, talking to you off the air. I'm like, oh, what, the Red Rock Gym? I'm, I'm thinking like 10 years ago. By the way. They have con- a brand new facility. UFC's had a brand new facility. Controversy, off too. Off the 215 for a while. Controversy. Okay. Dana White just admitted to tampering with Tom Brady to get him away from the Patriots. 
and now they're visiting and they're celebrating and happy. We've already found out that Brady was t- was part of tampering with lots of people. It's true, but Dana White himself did it. Another visiting him. 